Um, we've been doing a, serv- a, a series started on Behind the Curtain. And straight away, it can make some of us panic because we have behind the curtain what is sensitive and sacred to us. We have our home. And so we close the curtains when we don't want people to look in. But we really believe that God has such good things for us as individuals, as his followers, and also for this church, that we're calling ourselves to the season of looking what is in our hearts And this is such a safe place. It's such a beautiful place because we're not doing it to try and single people out or humiliate, rather to encourage each other to get closer to God in the season. And I know I've just appreciated it and just the honesty and vulnerability and real doing life with God um, preaches so far. And um, as, as I was thinking about mine, and mine's walking in the light and purity, and that's what we're going to be speaking on, and I thought, what is the most pure thing I can think of? And first I thought, well, there's the brand name Purity Baby Food, and I looked, and I, I don't know if it's as pure as they make it out to be. I can't say. You know, I'm not sure if something that lasts in the bottle is that pure. Um, and then I thought about a mountaintop, and just a mountaintop like Mount Everest where People seldom go, and the air is clean, and you pick up a bunch of that snow, and you put it in your mouth, and that probably gives you a good taste of purity. And then I was thinking about someone that I met had actually gone up Everest. She didn't make it all the way to the top, but she shared an interesting story with me. And She was a friend of a friend when I was living in Joburg, and um, she was speaking about how when you climb Mount Everest and you, or you attempt to, you spend a lot of time going up and down, acclimatizing, getting used to it. You spend a lot of time in base camp, away from factories, dirty air, cars, that sort of thing. And she told me how after that experience, she went to the town of Kathmandu and saw a car, and she said she was walking in the road, and she just had a strong desire to go at the back of the car and just like chug in the fumes, like breathe them in. And she had missed that carbon monoxide smell in her life. And you think, isn't that bizarre? Her lungs were probably the most uncorrupted they would have ever been besides when she was born in her, in her whole life. But I thought that beautifully illustrates for us our big struggle, that we walk in this world. And if you have submitted your life to God and given your life to him, there's a purity that we can enjoy doing life with a holy God. But we also have to walk around and breathe in the fumes. And the first thing before we start is to be honest that some of us, and actually all of us, have got quite used to the fumes. That there's something in us, because we have a sinful nature, that actually is quite accustomed and actually sometimes wants to be smelling the fumes, even if they aren't good for us. And that is the tension that we have living in this world. The Mount Everest and the car fumes are both our realities. Sometimes as Christians, we want to deny that we have sin. The Bible says if you deny it, you're a liar, because we all battle with sin. And so now we know the, you know, we've leveled the playing ground. We all have that need. We have the desire to sin. We also have a desire, if you follow God, to please Him. And so we're going to be looking at three young men, four young men, sorry, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if we can have the next slide, they were men that were taken captive. If you know the story, then you'll get that image. The first and last time teenage boys refused food, or if you have a teenage boy. Um, But they were young men taken captive. They were then made to dwell in a land against their will. 
And they were then, because they were the cream of the crop, they were going to be trained by the king for his service. And part of what happened in their journey was something that gets recorded in Daniel chapter 1, where they are tempted to eat food that has been offered to idols, that in their world would be impure. And then we see the journey unpack. Because of time, I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but I'm going to take little parts of it, and we're going to speak through what happened to them, and what we can learn and take in our own journey. And the first thing is this, that as we look at a purity journey, we need to realize it all starts with God. God is the object of our purity, not ourselves. Sometimes we make ourselves the star of the show. And if you, if you're the star of your purity journey, that we're in, in, um, kind of danger of becoming religious because that's what religion does. It says you can save yourself. You need to be good enough for God. This is what you need to do. You are not the star of your purity show. The object of purity is God who is a holy God. He says, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. There's this call to perfection. If you look at God's standards, you see that it existed before the nation of Israel even existed. It existed before he even called you as his child. God was a holy God before he created the world. And if you want a view, because I, I like to think in pictures, and so if you want to think in a picture, I think, what does walking with God in the state look like? Go back to the Garden of Eden before sin corrupted it all. And that is what God longs, that, that communication. That is that, so with his holiness, there's a beautiful, beautiful love relationship. But in order for that love relationship to be maintained, John 14, verse 15, this verse, and I'm going to say it a few times, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commands. He wants you to love him with your entire being, every part of your body, your heart, soul, and mind. And in our journey of purity, it does involve every part of our bodies. The the next thing we see is that these were men of faith in a strange land. They found themselves, if you see in Daniel 1 verse 2, in the Babylonian land where this land that had had taken their objects of worship and things from their temple and in a blasphemous way put it in this temple of the Babylonians to worship gods with a small g. This would have been incredibly offensive to them. They would have had to go around seeing things that they didn't want to see and they had never been exposed to in their life. And we have the same sort of problem. If you look at us, the Bible describes us as believers. It has this word, you strangers and aliens. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. And it's a strange reality that we also have to navigate. How do we walk this road of purity and honoring God in a world that is so tainted by sin? And that is something that, in a sense, we have... We have um, one land in our hearts, the promised land, the land that we know God is going to take us to, where we'll have perfect relationship with him one day. We have heaven in our hearts. But then we also have a physical land that we need to exist in. And isn't that the the tension that we have as Christians? The next thing we see is that they weren't just men of faith, but they were also royalty, nobility. You see this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. They were Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So you almost see them being chosen people within the chosen people. So this elite bunch of people, 
And yet they are still going through horrific times. And you think, surely, you know, God's chosen people and royalty, they shouldn't be facing this. They shouldn't be going through it. I don't know if you've ever felt that about your own life. Like, Lord, you say I'm part of this royal priesthood, a a holy nation that I belong to you. Surely life should look different to me for me. Surely this purity journey shouldn't be so hard. Surely I shouldn't be tempted with everything that I'm tempted with. Lamentations 3 verse 33 says, For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. The problem of purity and the sin that we face is the world that we live in. And then we also see with these young men that the world that they find themselves in really wants to change them. You see this in Daniel chapter 1 verse 4. They're not tortured. They're not put in a prison cell. They, they actually, it says here in the last sentence, it says, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So in a sense, they are going to be immersed in this new culture, brainwashed in a way, where they are going to have to learn a new language, a new way of speaking a new way of thinking as they studied the philosophy and the religion and and the thoughts. And it is similar to what we battle with. If you look at our situation, the world wants to teach us how we should think, what we should say in certain situations. They want to captivate our thinking and say, if I can control you, I can, you know, I will tell you what to say on this. This is what you should be thinking. And I was thinking about the whole idea of oil and water. If you've ever made one of those little um, test tubes where you, where you have both together and you try and mix it and it just isn't made to mix well. And so you try and you shake it up and kids think, no, they're going to, you know, they're going to do it. They're going to mix the two together and you just see it separate again. And the danger we find ourselves in when we start to adopt another way of thinking that doesn't represent God's way is we lose the purity. And sooner or later things separate, but we find we're no longer the oil, we're the water. That we're no longer part of what we thought. And sometimes it can happen slowly, sometimes it happens quickly. But if you look at how the devil wants to tempt you when it comes to your journey, you can look at the first temptations. And what did he say to to Adam and Eve? Did God really say this? He took what God had said and he just reframed it slightly. You look at the same when he tried to tempt Jesus. It was going with a half-truth. And this is how these young men were going to be trained. The next thing we see is that they had no choice but to exist in this reality. You see, they they were royalty, they were nobility, they were Jewish young men, But now they were also slaves. They were going to be trained for three years, and then they were going to become advisors. This was a journey that someone else had now plotted for them. And they had to just walk in it and exist in it. You see here in Daniel 1 verse verse 5 that they were going to be trained for three years and then be in the king's service. And I guess that's also a reality for us. There's so many of us who, who just wished we weren't in this place, that we could tap out. This is all too hard. But Jesus' prayer sums it up so beautifully in John 17, verse 15. He's praying for his disciples and for the believers. So this is his thoughts on us and how to exist in this world that puts pressure on. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, 
but you, that you protect them from the evil one. And that really is the answer to all of this, is that we can exist in both and have God's blessing in hand over us. And then we see that Daniel chose not to defile himself. The whole word defile is, is speaking about damage to purity or marring something that should be so beautiful, spoiling something. And he has resolved, he made a decision in his head that he wasn't going to be touched by the situation the way it was touching others. And this must have been a really hard choice. You think he's a hero and he becomes a hero as we reteach this story to other people. But that defiling and taking a stand was a big thing because everyone else was going in a different direction. And that is the call for us as believers. 1 Timothy 5 verse 22 speaks, it says, Do not share in the sin of others and keep yourself pure. There are many verses like this in the Bible that speak over and over again to the point where some people might say, you know, Christians have such a hang-up with purity. What is up with that? It's because there's a pure God who's shown us the best way to live our lives. When we resolve not to defile ourselves, we are choosing plan A for our lives, not an average plan B. John 14 verse 15 again, if you love me, keep my commands. And then we see these gentlemen, and we in a sense see two tables being offered before them, two different ways The one is almost carnal abundance. It's this food offered up to idols. They probably crave meat because as Jewish boys, they were allowed to eat meat. And so it might have smelled beautiful. They might have seen everyone partaking in this. And they might have even wanted to give themselves a bit of a license to partake. Hey, we slaves now. This has been a terrible journey. I miss home. This will make us feel a little bit better. Isn't it awesome that we've landed up with this plan and we're not in the prison? And you could think of a million reasons why you could partake at that table. I wonder what their temptation was like. I'm not too sure. But it's that whole desire again to leave the snow and go smell the car fumes. And you see something else, that as they go and they request that they have a trial of eating fruit and veg and water, and they, they come before, God is offering them a different table, a better table. It reminds me of Psalm 23 for us, where it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And James talks to us about keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world. And in life what I've seen that that when I've chosen to walk a road of holiness and purity, God has quite clearly shown me the right way. I think sometimes we, we fool ourselves into thinking there are many gray areas in life. And it's an interesting one to debate, but what I've seen is there's seldom been times where if I was completely honest with myself and went, I'm just completely surrendering to God and whatever he says, I'll do it. I haven't really seen gray. Often it comes when we try to treat the tables like a pick and mix. I'll take something off this table because that table looks good, but I want to honor God and we try to make a third table. You see here that these men had a choice. God's way, or the wrong way, or the way of flesh. 
Galatians puts it beautifully, and there are many scriptures like this where we see this coming through. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, walk by that table, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the other table. It doesn't say the other table, by the way, adding that in. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's a strange sort of thing because it's kind of explaining to us which, which table we should choose, but there's freedom to choose. And then we see on the one table we have the acts of the flesh. And I love that it says they are obvious. And so when we tell ourselves this is all very confusing, we need to go, God, bring us clarity because you have an obvious way. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then on the other table, but the fruit of the Spirit, and you I'm sure you know it, but you can read up at home. But the fruit of the Spirit, and it talks about it, and then it says, I want to highlight verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And with that, it's going, let's carry on eating at the table. The Spirit of God has shown us where he wants us to be, where he wants us to eat. And then we also see that purity is not situational, but rather it helps us to navigate situations. The boundaries didn't shift because their leaders weren't there, they'd stepped out of their home and their community, their parents weren't there to watch them. They had a God compass in their hearts. And just to encourage parents too, we can get so caught and hung up on, on, on reprimanding behavior that we forget about the compass in a kid's heart that what we teach them needs to start transferring to when we aren't with them. But they had that God compass. His law was written not just in their heads, but on their heart. For the other young men that were there that we don't even hear about in the story, they would have known God's law in their head. But here we see these four men standing out because it's on their hearts. What does your God compass look like right now? Are you in tune with the Spirit? Are you regularly using it and doing check-ins? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So often we we think God's way out is he's just going to remove us from this temptation. But I love that it ends by saying a way out so that you can endure it. A way out so you can get through. And so when we are battling in the area of purity, it's going, God, what does your way out look like? And knowing how to use that compass. Then we also see that their purity produced, produced fruit. And we see in the, in the scriptures, and you can read it in Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3, their journey. But you see that um, in verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding, 
about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. When we make that step to live a life of purity, there is going to be fruit for the world and for ourselves. We will get to enjoy aspects of life with God that we haven't done. It's always like we just carry on walking and journeying with him and opening new doors, even if the journey is hard. For us, I want to encourage you with Matthew 5, verse 22. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a beautiful fruit What a beautiful privilege. What a beautiful promise. You will see God. But it also means that a lack of purity will block your vision of God. And then our purity should point others to Jesus. Kind of carrying on from the fruit. But you see that that Nebuchadnezzar, as these men interpreted dreams and spoke to him, he bowed down. He said, surely your God is a God of gods, king of kings. He's a revealer of mysteries. Praise God. And these men had stood out as different. They were pointing people to God. Philippians 2 puts it another way. And it ends by saying that you'll be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among among them like stars in the sky. You were meant to be shining wherever you find yourself. But there's another part to it too, and that is that sometimes purity brings out the worst in people. And (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar was a bit of a flip-flop. Sometimes he was praising them. Other times he was trying to throw them into into, um, the furnace to, to be burned because they wouldn't bow down. And it's the same that when you take those steps of purity, not everyone's going to be over the moon happy. Because it's God's ways and not everyone, even believers, not every believer is embracing God's ways. And especially people who are openly rebellious to God. And so the world doesn't often stop and applaud you and you applaud you and you think, well, I'm surely I'm doing the right thing. And you, you stoke because you've surrendered to God and you thank you, Lord. And then you get bombarded. And that's what happened to these young men. And you see that that as they are, they face this opposition, they just keep on standing strong. They don't care about the fact that people aren't impressed with them. How strong is your conviction with regards to purity? How far will you go in this journey? How are you willing to make a stand when others aren't pleased with your choices? And then we look at how purity will never, ever be a bad decision, a bad choice. You see it in these young men because now they are faced with the furnace. You just fast forward a bit. They've been told to bow down to idols and they refuse. And so now they're being tempted to, to kind of maybe go the other way, but they're going, there's no temptation here. We can see where this is going and this is their response King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your, oh, will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. 
And so you see these men, and it's like I've heard it described as like, you know, in God's kingdom, it's heads you win, tails you win. (laughs) There is no loss when you choose to do things God's way. And these men are seeing these alternatives and going, this is going to happen. God can save us. Even if he doesn't, we are not doing it because we know our holy God. Challenge to us in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Adding another beautiful promise to things like the pure in heart will see God. Now we hear that the God of peace will be with us. Can you see that there's no losing in this journey as hard as it may be? When we feel we're losing in the purity journey, it's because we're making ourselves once again the object of purity. That it's about how I feel. And it's crazy that I'll sometimes even hear Parents saying, I actually want my kid to experience this. I want them to taste it. You know what? It's not about your child either. It's not about our joy and what we want and how we want to feed our flesh. It's about what faithful God has called us to. And you're making a big mistake if you encourage your kid to ever taste things that the world has to offer. Because you are then giving advice that's against what a holy God says. And you need to be aware of that. And then I love the the living free course. It taught me a beautiful principle that always sticks in my mind when I'm dealing with issues of purity, sin, and that journey is that don't just walk the road of of letting go, but also see what God wants to put on you. And you see it with these men because as as they journey down this road of taking off, they actually put on as well. So first... They take off the food. They say, I'm not going to eat that. I don't want to touch that food. But they don't die of starvation. And so they, we don't have to always be the martyrs here. They're going, just give us this. Give, like, we're going to take things that will nourish our body, that will strengthen it, that will help us in this mission that God has given us as foreigners in a foreign land. So they, take, they, they get rid of one thing and they fill themselves with another. And you see that the whole time. You see this journey, and you see it throughout the Bible as believers, people that would put things aside. Paul was a great example. He put his sin and his life of sin aside when he had power and status and everything else. But he put on God's mission, and he filled his life with that. And the Bible has many. And if you on a journey of of wanting to dig deeper into purity and what it looks like in your own life and for you, the Bible is packed with scriptures. But I just want to take one example for you from Ephesians 4, which speaks about Christian living because it illustrates us taking off and putting on so beautifully. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's a take off, but put on. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of them, but now put on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, 
just as in Christ, God forgave you. And when you put effort into living life God's way, you find that the things of the world grow strangely dim as we turn our eyes upon Jesus. And as we end, just one or two more challenges is that the the whole message of purity is come, don't run. Sadly, when when people are in a habit of, of sinning and they know that people within the church might not be happy with them, might have been speaking, whatever they feel, there's a thing to bolt. Whereas church should be doing what Jesus did and calling people in. Jesus knows exactly what we need. And I love that when he was walking around earth, he knew if someone had a pride issue, he was more direct with them. And he would speak straight to them and he wouldn't mince his words. But other times when people were in need of his loving kindness, when they were feeling exposed, when they didn't know what to do with this burden of sin, he came and he gently took them in and he guided them. The message of purity is come to Jesus. Don't run away from him. And this whole message is around personal purity, but we do need to think about what it looks like when we walk this road with others. Because it's very easy to tell others what to do. But all you're doing is you turning it into a religious exercise. When we should be going, come, let me bring you closer. Come, don't run. Let me show you what I, let me speak about my own life. But we often want to be the moral police. You shouldn't do that, don't do that, you're doing that wrong. And we're calling sin out all the time and it makes us feel fantastic. But we haven't dealt with our own heart. So in the journey of purity, we need to walk that road. Um, if I can have the next slide, I don't know if any of you know the game, The Floor is Lava. If you can't read it, it says, sorry I'm late, The Floor was Lava. If you've got kids, you might understand it. Or if you're older, it might have been when your kids were small and you're walking through the shops and you're in a rush and all of a sudden they're walking on only the black tiles and they're going to die if they walk on the white tiles. And now it's The Floor is Lava that you've got to walk on the edging. And truth is, Bob, my daughter will do it whenever I'm in a rush. It's almost like she's got this button. (laughs) And she switches it on and the floor becomes lava when we need to get somewhere. And it's such a hassle. But because you love your child, you humor them for a bit. And then you realize, actually, (laughs) I need to walk at her pace because we're not getting anywhere quickly. I think so often we lose patience with people that are battling in the area of purity. Because it would be easier just to drag you along and say, don't do that. Wrap them on the knuckles. Versus, come with me. I'm going to walk at your pace and take you with. We're going to walk together. I'm battling with pride because I kind of right now feel I'm better than you. Let's walk together. <laughs> you know, let's pursue God because at the heart of purity, it's not me and you. It's holy God. And that's a journey I can walk with you even if I can't relate to what you're going through. And then it's the question of what are you going to do from now? What does God maybe put on your heart that you feel maybe this is an area he wants to challenge? There's so many beautiful options that we've been mentioning. Um, But once again, the one I want to highlight, and there's a reason I want to highlight it, it's Clive, who's part of the STOP ministry, which deals with pornography. But I want to speak about Clive's attitude. If you know Clive, I don't think he's here. Um, Ah, Clive. Something I love about Clive is just one of the most real human beings you can get. But he won't talk about his ministry loads, about the people. He protects them. There's a father heart there that I think represents God's heart so beautifully. In in a part of life where people are battling with addictions. And Clive doesn't know who's going to win and who's not, who's going to get over things and who's not. But he just ministers God's love. 
And that is what we should be looking for. So if you're battling with purity and you need a road, someone to walk a road with you, look for the Clives in the church. Don't listen to people that are going to give you the bad advice, that are going to just say, just do what you want. Look for people that will hold that standard and journey with you. But ultimately, you want to be more like God because that is the journey of purity. And if four young men in slavery could do it without their parents and all the help there, when they could face that temptation, surely we can. And so if I can ask you just to close your eyes, we're just going to do a a quick check of just what do you want to say to me, God? And I actually want you to think about your whole being because the Bible says, love the Lord your God with your whole being. And if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So how does this look for you? I want you to think about your eyes. And are there things in your life right now that are a problem for your eyes? Things that you are viewing that do not please God. Things that you are looking at. Psalmist said, I'll set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. Your eyes can cause you to sin. How are your ears doing? Are there things that you're listening to that you shouldn't be? Words that you're letting settle in your heart that you shouldn't? What does holiness look like in terms of what you listen to? Timothy says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Then let's look at our tongues. Are there things going into our body that shouldn't be? Things that shouldn't be a part of our life. Things that don't honor what God has said for our bodies. And then what goes out? Our speech. Is your tongue being used in a way that doesn't glorify God? Think about your touch. What is it that your hands are holding or grasping? What is it that we're wanting and making kind of our life's ambition to gain and have in our hands? And does it please God? Let's think about our minds. That verse that I spoke about, about whatever is true, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. What is your mind looking like right now? And then your heart. So often our, our sin and lack of purity can fester. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. What does purity look like for you? What is God saying? I want you to deal with it. If he said something to you, don't harden your heart and don't be slow to obey. He will give you that way out. He's going to show you what he needs you to do so that you can endure. Like these four young men, that you can get through it and then shine like a star. So Lord, we come into your presence right now and we say thank you that you are holy God, but that you love us too, that you made a way, that you sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice 
Thank you that we don't have to pull ourselves out of our sin, but that you took our hand and pulled us out. We thank you that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. So thank you for these safe places, Lord, where we can speak about what is behind the curtain, knowing that it's your loving kindness that's calling our hearts to you. And I just want to encourage you that if it's something that feels big and you've had a a history of failing in a specific area, uh, find a person, find someone to be accountable to for the journey. Lord, we don't want anything to stand in the way of our love relationship with you, that Eden sort of experience where you can walk holding your hand and enjoying our relationship with you. And thank you that you only have the best for us. As a loving God, you only have the best design for our lives. And may we have the joy of seeing it come into being in our lives. Your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.